0: Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.
2: This is a CBC podcast.
1: I go to hug them, kiss them. Probably they will be in hospital in the, in the first time to get the checkup and everything. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't think what I got to do and what I'm going to say.
2: Gilad Korngold is among the many people in Israel who have been waiting six weeks for news of their relatives after Hamas stormed into that country on the 7th of October, killing more than 1,200 people and taking 240 hostages. Now, Gilad Korngold is hoping his grandchildren and other relatives may be coming home. As you've been hearing, Israel and Hamas have reached a deal that will allow some of the host hostages to be freed and see a pause in fighting in Gaza. It came after negotiations between the Israeli government and Hamas, mediated by the government of Qatar. Noga Tarnopolsky is an independent journalist who has been covering Israeli politics for more than two decades. She's in Jerusalem. Noga, hello. Hello. What is the mood in Israel today as word of this deal begins to spread?
3: Well, I'd say it's complicated. I literally, as I'm speaking with you, the list, the names of the hostages to be released um, has just come out. So Israelis are, I would say in this, it's a a difficult to discuss stage. You're sort of waiting for people to emerge from what feels like another world. Um, And yet the political situation remains very difficult. The fact that Hamas has announced these names, Hamas has announced when the ceasefire will start 10 a.m. tomorrow, I think it's very confusing for Israelis.
2: Well, those hostages, I mean, as the names are starting to come out, is, is tomorrow at 10 a.m. local time, that's when this temporary truce begins. But also, is that when the hostage exchange will start to unfold?
3: Um, we were told the hostage exchange will begin tomorrow. It's going to be in drips and drabs. Mm. So I don't know of the list that we've seen. I don't know who will be released tomorrow. I'm not sure anybody knows. Um, what I've heard about the technicalities of the exchange is that, um, Israelis will be released first, uh, put into the hands of the Red Cross, and then Israel will release prisoners, Palestinian prisoners held in Israel, but, um... I assume this will start after the truce is in place and there is not active fighting, but we don't have the details.
2: And as we understand it, it will be 50 hostages, Israeli hostages that are being held by Hamas that will be released?
3: Yep, I've heard alternatively 50 or 53, but what is crucial to underscore is that Hamas is saying uh, that it could release more. Remember, Israel has 240 Um, uh, hostages held by Hamas so what it's saying is that beyond this initial batch of 50 who are supposed to be released over four days, it will ask for an extra day of truce for every 10 other hostages released. It's saying that it wants to use this time of the truce to look for more children being held which obviously you can imagine for Israelis this is like a gut punch Um, But the fact is that there are legitimate concerns that Hamas will use these days of truce to reorganize and rearm.
2: There are Palestinian prisoners that are being held by Israel. 150 will be released as part of this exchange. What do we know about that at this point? Um,
3: Again, I have not yet seen their names, but they are not people who um, were convicted of murdering Israelis. And they're by and large women and minors. There was, I think, initially a misunderstanding that these were going to be mostly people who had been arrested in the West Bank during the period of this war. I now no longer think that's the case, but they are not going to be released to Gaza. They're going to be released to the West Bank, which is under the rule of the Palestinian Authority.
2: Mm. Haaretz, the the Israeli newspaper, was saying that among those coming out would be something like 123 minors and a number of people who are under the age of 14.
3: Yes, my understanding, mostly women and minors and possibly some elderly people.
2: We've spoken with uh, Israeli families who have been protesting the Israeli government, saying, focus on on getting the hostages out, Um, that that needs to be the top priority now for the Israeli government. There has been huge criticism uh, of, of their own government by some of those families. What is the reaction that you're hearing from those families early on in this?
3: Well... You know, what you're hearing is a, a sort of heartbreak, right? Because imagine some of these families are getting like part of their relatives back. So um, the families thus far, the families of hostages, even when they've had disagreements, certainly political disagreements, have been very united. And my sense is that they're still united as a kind of social force and a kind of lobby to get their loved ones back in Israel. But... Um, some of them are getting their children back, some of them are getting grandma and grandpa back, and some are not. Um, Some are getting one kid back and not another. It's a very, very difficult situation. It's it's hard to really transmit Mm. how shattered Israelis are right now.
2: At this point, the fighting will stop for four days. Is that what we hear?
3: Yes, and that, I have to say, is really controversial. There is a feeling that uh, the Israeli government and Prime Minister Netanyahu in particular did not get the best deal they could. One of the Hamas requests that has been granted um, is kind of extraordinary, and it's that Israel will stop using its spy drones over Gaza uh, during this period. And so that's not a military thing. This is not armed drones who could harm someone. This is simply what Israel demanded was the ability to observe that Hamas is not rearming. And Israel gave that up. So that is raising a lot of eyebrows, as is the ability of the Israeli army to be able to protect its troops while this is going on.
2: There have been just finally increasingly loud calls from many parts around the world for a full ceasefire. Is there the sense that this could be the beginning of the end of this war or the end of the beginning of this war?
3: Um, there's a great fear about that, I would say. If the war ends right now, the meaning is that Hamas remains an active, uh, lethal armed force on Israel's border, and that it, as an organization, invaded Israel, murdered 1,200 citizens, some of them in their beds on a Saturday morning, stole more than 240 people. And we'll survive to do it again.
2: Noga, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for this. It's um, it's it's a rapidly uh, evolving story. I appreciate the latest. Thank you. Noga Tarnopolsky is an independent journalist based in Israel. More than 13,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israel's response to the October 7th attacks. According to Gaza's health ministry, 1.7 million people have been displaced. Mukhamer Abusada is a professor of political science at Al-Azhar University in Gaza. He's currently in Cairo. Mukhamer, hello to you. Oh, Hello to you. Thank you for being back on the program. What's your reaction to this news of a temporary truce in the fighting and what will be an exchange of those who are being held?
1: Uh, to be honest with you, that is a very big relief for me uh, at the personal level and also uh, for the Palestinians in general. When I say at the personal level, I have a son who is left behind in Gaza who, have, who hasn't evacuated yet to Cairo. And I have also uh, many brothers and sisters and and siblings who are uh, still there. So uh, that will be a big relief. And also for hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who are in Gaza, who have been subjected to uh, a lot of bombing, a lot of destruction over the past 46 days. I don't know whether they can uh, gather their their life again uh, for the four days, but still there are many, many uh, bodies uh, under the rubble uh, that they can be buried during those four days. There are many wounded people who want to be transferred from the north of Gaza to the south of Gaza. Uh, uh, Many things can be done during those four days, so that is definitely a big relief and very good news.
2: Tell tell me about your situation. I mean, you and I spoke very early on in the war. And now, as I said, you're in Cairo, but some of your family is is still left in Gaza. How did you manage to get out of Gaza?
1: Luckily, uh, my older two sons are American citizens. And also, I have a permanent uh, legal status at the U.S. Uh, So the minute they started evacuating uh, uh, foreigners and Palestinians with dual citizenship, Uh, My uh, older two sons uh, were evacuated to Cairo on the 2nd of November, and I evacuated with one uh, of my daughters uh, five days ago on Friday. And yesterday, my wife and my other daughter successfully evacuated also Gaza. uh, But we have one son who is still in Gaza, and his name has not been listed and published uh, for evacuation because usually uh, the respective Western uh, embassies and, and other international embassies, they uh, send the names to the Egyptians and the Israelis who approve them and list uh, uh, or give daily lists of Palestinians with dual citizenship who are eligible for evacuation.
2: It must have been really hard to leave family behind.
1: It's, it's a very tragic and sad thing for me, for my wife and my, my children. Uh, they're, they're very, very uh, sad that we, we have one son uh, who we could not evacuate with us. And, and I would imagine you could... Uh, You you could imagine how how difficult and how painful is that. But Mm. hopefully we are hoping that he will be evacuated in the coming uh, few days.
2: What was life like? How would you describe what life was like over the last six weeks?
1: Honestly, I've never seen something like this in in, in my life. I'm 59 years old now. I've I've never seen, I've never heard even uh, of anything like this. This is hell, honestly. Uh, uh, Bombing almost in every corner of the Gaza Strip. We're talking a very small place here which is Gaza, no more than 170 square miles, uh, where bombing had taken place almost everywhere. Most of it was in the north of Gaza. And luckily, I evacuated to the south of Gaza about five weeks ago, as we instructed by the Israeli army to evacuate. Uh, But even the south of Gaza did not escape Israeli bombardment. Uh, uh, I have to admit that in the last few days uh, before I evacuated to to Cairo, uh, meaning a week ago, we had very rough time, finding food, finding portable water. Things uh, started to run out from the market. Uh, bread has become a very scarce thing in Gaza uh, over the past uh, uh, week or 10 days. Honestly, it, it, it's it's a very uh, disastrous situation, not to mention the destruction, uh, uh, the killing of, of Palestinian civilians, uh, but also uh, uh, the inability of the Palestinians to uh, find food and potable water because uh, of of the inability of the international uh, uh, humanitarian agencies to bring uh, uh, humanitarian assistance to the Palestinians in Gaza enough. Uh, and and, and yesterday stated that they only bring like 30 percent of what is needed uh, to the more than two million Palestinians in Gaza.
2: Mm. And so, perhaps more of that aid—certainly not enough—but but but more of that aid. The belief is, uh, when you speak to aid agencies, perhaps could be brought in during this this four or five day truce.
1: Hopefully so. Uh, let me say that during normal uh, uh, times, uh, around four hundred trucks of, of food, uh, fuel, and other commodities enter the Gaza Strip, and uh, over the past forty-five days, around. Uh, 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 the maximum, I would imagine, like 1,300 trucks of uh, humanitarian assistance have uh, allowed into the Gaza Strip. That's very, very little of what is needed. So hopefully the, 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 the next four or five days of, of ceasefire or truce will allow more humanitarian aid to the more than two million people in Gaza.
2: How much weaker do you think Hamas is a month and a half into this war?
1: That is a very good question. I know that the Israelis have been saying from the beginning of this war that the aim of this war is to destroy Hamas and to weaken Hamas. I don't know uh, how much they have succeeded in doing that because, to the best of my knowledge and from the footage of uh, uh, Hamas uh, uh, videos that they have been broadcasting on Al Jazeera and other TV networks, uh, they are still uh, uh, firing rockets against Israel up until this moment. And second, uh, there is a very fierce and tough uh, uh, fight going on uh, in the areas where the Israeli ground operation has taken place. So I'm not really sure that Hamas has been weakened. Now, maybe it's—let it's, it, me say that Israel has bombed and destroyed many of their uh, military infrastructure, man, some of the tunnels, some of their uh, rocket factories. But uh, still, uh, they, they are uh, uh, resilient and they are fighting back. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, 70 Israeli soldiers and uh, officers uh, have been killed over the past few days since the start of the grand operation, which started, I think, on October 30th.
2: Just finally, do you think that the, these four days, could they be the beginning of, of a longer truce, of a, of a longer ceasefire in this war?
1: I, I hope so. And I, to be honest with you, I pray that uh, uh, there will be an extension of this uh, uh, four days uh, of ceasefire. But I'm not really sure uh, whether Israel is, is willing to go for uh, an extension of that ceasefire. But, but that, w- that would be very badly needed for both the Palestinians and Israelis, because Hamas is not going to release all Israeli hostages and, and prisoners. And in the meantime, uh, I think Israel has not accomplished the so-called its mission of destroying Hamas. So uh, there's a good possibility that we might see uh, uh, a return uh, uh, of of the fight after the four days of of, uh, this ceasefire.
2: Mukhaimur, I hope your family is reunited soon. I'm glad you're out safe, and I'm glad to talk to you again. Thank you very much.
1: It's always my pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much.
2: Mukhaimur Abbasada is a professor of political science at Al-Azhar University in Gaza. He's currently in Cairo. The deal between Israel and Hamas would not have been possible without the mediating efforts of the small Gulf state of Qatar. Joel Simon is director of the Journalism Protection Initiative at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York and the author of We Want to Negotiate, The Secret World of Kidnapping, Hostages, and Ransom. Joel Simon, hello to you.
0: Hello, thanks for having me on.
2: What role has Qatar been playing in negotiating this temporary pause between Israel and Hamas to release hostages held in Gaza and release some people who are being held by Israel?
0: Uh, Qatar has played an absolutely essential role. These negotiations, this deal, this uh, ceasefire agreement would not have been possible without uh, Qatar's mediation effort uh, not long after the hostages were abducted and taken back into Gaza on October seventh um, Qatari mediators uh, in started engaging with Hamas representatives based in Doha with Israeli uh, with with Israeli political leaders and with the US and other governments as well to try and create conditions for uh, the release of this hostage these hostages uh, and this has been weeks and weeks of work I've been in touch with the um, uh, negotiators and others uh, uh, participating uh, in this effort in Doha in Qatar, and I know that this has been a uh, difficult and uh, painstaking
2: undertaking. There was a deal that was brokered on the twenty fifth of October as you 've been writing that fell through. How is this deal different? do you think
0: well yeah, as I outlined in my I, I wrote about that for The New Yorker and as I outlined, there was a deal in place um, on October 23rd. Uh, and that was actually a kind of more informal arrangement. It was pretty similar, though. It called for the release of about uh, 50 civilian hostages. There was no quid pro quo. In other words, there was no uh, guarantee of a ceasefire, but there was an expectation of a ceasefire. The Israelis also did not agree at that point to release uh, Palestinian uh, prisoners held in uh, Israeli jails. Uh, and the sticking point actually was that um, uh, Israel demanded a list of all um, the hostages who, were, who would be released. And Hamas said this would take time to assemble. This is according to my uh, sources in Doha and others as well. Um, and uh, the Israelis uh, viewed this as a as a as a stalling tactic, a strategy that would allow them to uh, consolidate their, uh, their 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 military defenses. And uh, the deal the deal basically collapsed hour. It collapsed on October 25th, mm-hmm. and within hours of the deal collapsing, uh, Israel began its ground offensive.
2: The piece that you wrote in the New Yorker is fascinating because it's about the role of Qatar and all of this. How would you describe the relationship between that state and Hamas?
0: uh well qatar has for for decades really positioned itself as a kind of Neutral force in the Middle East, a place, Doha, the capital city, a place where uh, all parties to the various conflicts in, in, in the Middle East and more broadly in the region uh, can meet and engage a kind of neutral venue, if you will. So they, you know, hosted the Taliban political office. They've hosted Hamas, uh, ha- Hamas's political representatives since 2012. They obviously, for example, have a relationship with Iran, which is useful when there are mediation efforts uh, taking place. There. There. And they, um, they've they also provided over a billion dollars in aid to, um, to Gaza, which is obviously governed by Hamas, so Hamas has benefited from this aid. Uh, they say that the political office that was set up in 2012 was done in part at the behest of the United States, which wanted to have the possibility of engaging in dialogue with Hamas and that this was the right venue and, and mechanism through which to do so.
2: It's difficult to p- pretend that you are as, as you say Swiss diplomats in the midst of all of those various relationships talk about the complications and the juggling act of of being friends with everybody because Qatar has been accused of, of playing a double game here
0: yeah you know definitely Qatar has been accused of sort of playing both sides uh, of supporting you know of supporting the very groups. Uh, they also host a, a major uh, military, U.S. military base in, 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 in Doha and supporting the very groups that the U.S. was, was fighting against. They've they, so, they, they yes, been accused
2: of, of financing some of the groups that have been accused of, of being involved in, in hostage taking.
0: Yeah. And the U.S. has has investigated that. I talked to a former U.S. official who, who mentioned that this was uh, part of a, an investigation that the U.S. undertook. It was inconclusive. No, no sanctions were imposed. Uh, Qatar has denied these relationships. But there's plenty of evidence that they certainly had communication and provided some sort of support uh, over the years. So so this has been you know very complicated. Qatar has maintained uh, that they do this for support, that they have a humanitarian objective. They want to make sure that dialogue is possible and communication is open, but they've also benefited uh, strategically from having these relationships because they're valuable, I would even say in some cases essential, to great powers that are trying to uh, mediate these conflicts. And so for Qatar to be in that position uh, in- increases their um, Uh, their strategic value, and ultimately, in their estimation, their security in a very dangerous part of the world.
2: Are they trusted by all the various sides? Given This is a war that's gone on for six-plus weeks now, and the tensions are extraordinarily high. The casualties um, we've talked about, are they trusted by the various sides?
0: I I would say they're as trusted as anyone can be under the circumstances. Mm. Look, I've been writing and and, and engaged with... with, um, uh, you know people inside and outside government that have been trying to resolve hostage crises for a number of years and the qataris have absolutely become the go-to mediator really and within the region whether it's you know somebody held by in in, in iran or 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 by the taliban or now in um in gaza uh you know there really isn't another interlocutor that can play this role and they've been very successful and the people i've talked to have recognized their contribution
2: absolutely the trust issue is important because you would wonder what it would mean for qatar if if one side or the other were to back out of this deal or to break this deal um before even the four days are up
0: well that's that's absolutely possible i mean I, i think that uh you know the qataris are hoping that the truce will lead both to the release of hostages and to uh, humanitarian aid uh, uh, entering Gaza, which is which is desperately needed, as, as we just heard, and they and they think that they can contribute to that and perhaps even open uh, some sort of broader dialogue that would uh, de-escalate the conflict in some way. But there are enormous risks. The logistics are so complicated. Uh, just basic communication. I mean, they what what's what the Qataris are talking to the political office of Hamas, which is in Doha. But those political representatives then have to communicate with Hamas military leaders on the ground in Gaza. That's been extraordinarily difficult uh, because communication has been disrupted. So that challenge is enormous. There are other logistical challenges. The Israeli politics are, are complicated, uh, as uh, Noga, uh, uh, your, your reporter mm-hmm. who you spoke to on the ground uh, in Jerusalem, outlined. Uh, so this is a very volatile situation. Uh, it's a big achievement that the deal is in place, uh, but there's no guarantee
2: that it will it will hold. Do you think—we just have a minute or so left, and given all of that, is there— is there the possibility – People are wondering what happens next, and is there the possibility that this is the beginning of something more? That it's that it's perhaps getting closer to the ceasefire that so many people around the world have been calling for.
0: I I think speaking, you know, with 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 a source in in, in, in Qatar, I would say that you know that's the hope that there is there. there this is a kind of opportunity to open some sort of broader dialogue about a longer ceasefire. I don't know if that's possible. We heard uh, uh, both of your guests today uh, speak about the dynamics of war. And once those are in place, uh, you know, it's extremely difficult Mm -hmm. to pull them
2: back. Joel, really glad to talk to you about this. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on. Joel Simon is the author of We Want to Negotiate, The Secret World of Kidnapping, Hostages, and Ransom. He wrote about the role of Qatar in um, being an intermediary in in this conflict in The New Yorker magazine. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.